Hey, thank you for coming back. Today I'm very pleased to present part one of my interview with Teddy Hose. I should give a little bit of backstory and context here. Teddy Hose is a really good friend of mine. I've known him since we were both teenagers. And we talk a little bit about that in this episode. Teddy is actually the first person that I interviewed for this project. But I decided to release his interviews a little later in the order so that I could use what I learned in these interviews with him to polish things up and figure out what I wanted to talk about and then bring some of that more refined content to the fore. So that's why this first interview appears later in the publication order. So Teddy was my guinea pig, and as a result, this whole episode's a bit of an experiment, so please bear with us through the jagged edges. Once you get over those, the conversation covers a ton of interesting ground. We talk about the extreme dichotomy between the decadence of the Moon family and the poverty experienced by some of the families that we grew up with. Teddy talks about his experience growing up near the Moons and their compound, their villa in upstate New York, an experience that he describes as living near and with a mafia family, which honestly I think is a true and fair description of, of what this family is. This is the first time I was exposed to the term labor trafficking, and it's become quite apparent that that is something that the Unification Church is very guilty of engaging in, and I'm sure many other cults are as well. We also talk about the suicide of one of Reverend Moon's children and how that affected Teddy and helped to spur him on his journey outside of the cult. We talk about that and a whole lot more in this. We talk about the power dynamic between the church and families and how the church rips those ties apart and force kids like Teddy and I to choose between the church and our family. I'm really happy that Teddy decided to help me on this journey of making this podcast, and I hope you get a lot of insight out of this episode. But first, a bio of Teddy. Teddy Hose was born into the Unification Church and grew up near the Moon family estate in Terrytown, New York, until his family moved to Seattle when he was 13. His parents were early members in the American chapter, having been part of the 777 couple blessing or mass wedding, granting their family considerable status. For the lay people out there, that means that when his parents were married, there were 777 couples in attendance at the mass wedding. Life Around the Moons was a mix of summer camps, banquets, and an international community, along with parental abandonment, anxiety about his Mooney identity in school, and attending the moons with militaristic obedience, sometimes met with violence. Teddy's family eventually left the church as he was just entering adulthood. He now lives in San Francisco as an artist and writer whose work often focuses on this experience. His work includes an article in HuffPost, a comic for The Nib, a video interview for Uproxx, and appearances in A&E's Cults and Extreme Beliefs and Explained on Netflix. I, I mean, we just, we know the nature of first generation, you know, parents and whatever. I mean, it's like, I think Richard Dawkins put it best when, like, I'm not a huge fan of Richard Dawkins, but yeah. 
I do like what he said that made him that gave him the ego that he has now. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that was all really intelligent breakdowns. And one of them was like he described religions as sometimes like parasitic, like people mm. like parasites will take over a body and like make them do things they wouldn't normally do in order to spread. It's almost like a zombie yeah. zombification. Yeah. But he's like, yeah. you know, some religions can be like that where you just you serve it, but you don't know why, but you just yeah. want to spread it. And yeah. anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the Unification Church is definitely like that. Maybe not for everyone in it, but for a lot of people, they are. And yeah, if the parasite is guiding people to be, you know, infiltrating the groups of their kids, they'll they'll do it on behalf of the parasite, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, well, you know, the more I learn, the more I realize, like, why those things are. Like, so maybe you saw, like, myself and posted online, (laughs) <laughs> that like th- there's a show called or there's a channel called reels and like they had mm. this one yeah documentary it's like a docuseries and one episode is up is cause just called moonies which i was like uh you probably don't want to use that term like that blatantly because that's yeah. a lot of people take offense to that but anyway i sorry there's like a really loud motorcycle parks here all the time it's uh, no worries um, <laughs> you might hear yeah, my like, son on this li- on this later on so it's it's all good don't worry about it okay <laughs> All right. But yeah, so the the one big takeaway I got from that was they talked about how like Sun Myung Moon was in prison in North Korea because they suspected he was like some South Korean spy. And that story is always like mixed. I'm like, I thought it was Imperial Japan or I thought it was he was in jail for this or that. Anyway, but according to them, you know, they have to check their sources if they want to be like have integrity to their information. Yeah, they said that he so in in North Korea, like they had these certain kind of like, I guess, thought reform kind of methods in prison or like, you know, I think there's like a religious element to North Korea to where the whole country feels like a cult. Yeah. Um, I learned it's something called like Juche, right? Yeah. Let's, let's come, let's yeah. come back. I got some, something interesting on that, but sorry, sorry. Continue. Okay. Yeah. I learned that term recently. So like okay. basically the methods that they were using in that prison to like get them to believe moon either consciously or not brought that to the American like yeah. church membership, like how yep. to witness to members. And so those tactics include like, you know, sleep deprivation and mm-hmm. like keeping them jumping from like lecture to lecture so that there's no time to like stop and think. And like, mm-hmm. you know, when I learned that I was like, damn, like, you know, this was kind of by design, like again, either consciously or not, but yeah. in his head, you know, since he's, he loves power, he's like, this works. Yeah. Like, I'm going to do what works, you know? Yeah. Kind of like Trump and like how he'll take it on, you know? So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 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 So hold on, let me just let me just just pause there and say a welcome to the show. And I want to come back to the whole North Korea thing. So I got something interesting to say, but I just I, I've an interesting, interesting point that I want to make there. But I guess before we before we do that, I just wanted to uh, give the listeners the a bit of context as to how we know each other as, as well as in very broad strokes, our experiences in the church and, and specifically wanted to sort of just, just be able to, to, to help people to place us in sort of in space time effectively. So like, you know, just tell us a bit about like when, when and where you were born, where you grew up, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit about your upbringing in the church, and then maybe a bit about how you and I came into contact. And then we can move on to the real meat mm-hmm. of the discussion, which is the process of leaving and some of the, the, the threads that, uh, that fall out of that of which North Korea is, is really interesting. And again, we'll come back to that later. 
yeah this is why i warned you that i tend to go on like i bring up things it's like and especially that we both grew up in this it's like yeah all these yeah 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 exactly exactly okay yeah so i I don't know i don't know if i want to say my exact age but i basically i like eh, whatever i was born in 78 (laughs) so i'm 41 yeah so i was born into the church i was actually born in dc i was born at george wash george washington university or whatever what is it okay, yeah. was georgetown um, university george my bad. georgetown, georgetown yeah. university hospital yeah that's where the rest of there sorry that's where my brother oh. was born as well yeah yeah so like i don't know if i was born in america it was district of columbia anyway sorry okay tangents <laughs> like so yeah i was born there and then shortly after that maybe when i was like three we moved to new york Terrytown, new york which is yeah. where the moons lived i guess my parents got stationed there at the World Mission Department. So they'd commute from our church-owned house in Terrytown to the New Yorker Hotel, okay. which is what the moon still own that. It's like, it's it's a Wyndham, I think is the name of the hotel that mm-hmm. is like branded with it. But I think the moon still own it ultimately. Anyway, so I grew up in Terrytown and it was very like paranoid making because like, you know, the church was, I mean, this was in my bio, which I'm sure you read yeah. But yeah. So like, it, it was basically like, I just like the moons were the boogeymen in town and like anyone who was a moony and they owned a lot of property around the town. So everyone always like looked and they saw like the security booth, like in the entrance and they were like, Whoa, this is that cult, you know? So like to be associated with that as a kid and just like having to live that every day, like it was both comforting in a way. Cause like those proper on those properties, it's like, ah, I'm with my people and this is what I can relate to. And yeah. You know, but then those same people are telling you don't trust the quote unquote outside world. And then you just you you go to school and you're away from the church community and everyone is conscious of the Moonies and they're like, you know, so it's like this weird like you confide in them. But at the same time, like it's they're giving you the confirmation bias not to trust anyone and not to trust, you know, yourself in the real world, ultimately. Yeah. And Um, I just to just to add a couple of things there. So in terms of some of my experiences there. So, well, I mean, I grew up in the DC area and yeah. what they did, so the DC area didn't like, didn't have as much of the, the moon family living there, but there was definitely like a, a wide variety of church compounds in the area that we would go to for, yeah. for various events throughout, you know, throughout the year. Right. And there was that whole, that whole idea that was instilled from a very young age of, you know, don't trust the outside world. These are your people. Yeah. Uh, everything out there is bad and it's going to get you. Uh, and we're the only source of, of truth or, or, or goodness or love in the, in the world. And we would also from time to time be driving up to, to Terrytown, New York, to the estates that you, that you mentioned for various events. Yeah. So I've, I've been there, mm-hmm. but I never, I didn't live in the town where I, I never lived in the town where the Moonies were the boogeymen effectively that that's that's a new a new experience or would have been a new experience for me so sorry please continue i just kind of wanted to to draw that connection yeah and the thing is like those properties like feel like home when you grow up and so even for me like i've had dreams about them and like my old house and like you know there's a childhood like sense of safety that will forever be programmed in me and those places will always feel like home even though 
sometimes like Moon's sons would like beat up people if they disagreed mm-hmm. with them or something. Like they were basically, I describe them as like a mafia family, you know, among other things. So when they don't get their way, they get really vicious and nasty yeah. because people have been bowing to them since they were kids. Well, Sun and Moon's children. Yeah. So not all of them, but some of them worse than others. But anyway, so like that was, yeah, it was a very tense environment and it just made me kind of hyper vigilant. And like, you know, I see a therapist now and I'm still learning the things that I, I have to, I don't know if I'll ever normalize, you know, there's this word autonomy that comes up a lot, which is basically, you know, letting yourself and your body just kind of breathe and trust kind of the world around you. There was a lot of this like mind over body, you know, confusion kind of like, but used to an oppressive degree of like, deny your body. Yeah. It's mind over body. And really it's like Moon's philosophy over your autonomy is really what that means. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Um, Let me just, I have a question for yeah. you there. Cause you just mentioned this, this term hypervigilance. I've also been see- seeing a therapist. That's not something that I have spoken to them about specifically, but it, and it's not something that I've ever really thought about that much in my, in, in my life in terms of that specific term. But I do know that I have a very strong reaction. Anytime someone, anytime some, someone does something, just the, the kind of slights me in, in, in the very smallest of ways. My immediate assumption is that they are trying to screw me and, and I need to fight back against that, against that being screwed basically. Wow. And I just wondered if that to me, so that kind of sounds like hypervigilance in a way, just kind of like this extreme, yeah. this heightened right. sense of like, where are the threats coming from? Mm-hmm. And if anything threatens me in any way, I just need to like, pounce and just attack it basically and i just wondered if that's something is that is that similar to to what you're feeling there let's see i think more more so when i was like a young adult and then okay i i really like because my family left like to jump ahead like in the 90s through the 90s we moved to seattle after new york so we left like the church headquarters and i think my parents felt that a safe distance to kind of drift away from it we like stopped doing the rituals like pledge service every Sunday morning at 5am. And like, so uh, like, from there, I kind of learned, I kind of, yeah, got the idea that it's like, I have to build myself again, like, I have to like, learn to trust the world, you know, make the world kind of my comfort zone more, Uh, basically deprogram myself from a cult, like, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the time, I was like, using more just kind of like, oh, I just need to get used to the world, you know, it's different community. And it's like, you got to unfuck yourself from a cult is basically yeah. what you got to do. Um, yeah. So, so over the years, I, I don't know, I didn't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I, I had that quite as bad, but I, I, for me, it's more of an immediate thing. Like I just, I think because, you know, parental abandonment was a big part of the church. It, it yeah. was like a direct order from yeah. Sun and Moon for yeah. a lot of parents to leave their kids to like do the mission and, yeah. you know, in turn it traumatized a lot of them. So like, my parents were gone a lot when I was younger. I almost never saw my dad growing up. So like, okay. I think it just made me have less faith in people. But, you know, my way around that is to like, know that I don't have faith in people like immediately. Like I, I will make snide remarks. I'll be like cynical. And like, you know, if someone is being like really positive or something, I mean, to some degree that's human, but yeah. I guess for me, it takes a little more convincing. Like, I don't know common experience or if someone else knows what it's like to be disappointed by their parents or like, you know, whatever, I can usually sense that in them. But so that's kind of my 
sense of hypervision. It's more kind of an immediate skepticism. But again, like through therapy and just getting to know myself more, I've learned that that's like a phase. And okay. the more I'm around someone, the more I get to know them, I eventually warm up to them and see that they're human. And it's not because yeah. ultimately what I'm doing is like fighting off a threat. I'm like, I can't trust anyone. Yeah. You know, that's what I was programmed to do. Like, don't trust anyone and like completely trust, you know, without any criticism, everyone in this church. Yeah. So like, uh, that's kind of, yeah, the black and white thinking I'm like, you know, dissolving. So, yeah. 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 And that's a big, that's a big one to dissolve. And if mm -hmm. I think of myself, I feel like I, I kind of swing between the two. I have, I start off, I, I, I am skeptical, probably more skeptical of, mm -hmm. than many people of many things, but like, once I start trusting someone, I kind of trust them fully in the way that we were, that we were taught to, to trust, you know, to trust mm. authority in the past. Yeah. But then if you, if, if you disappoint me, I will like, I, I will never forgive and I will never forget. Basically. I just, I just know I have, I have, I kind of like swing back and forth basically. And that's just, you know. yeah. You, you know, I, I wonder if that also comes from maybe not having like an older brother, you know, like I have a friend who's like that. He's like the, the youngest in his family and he has yeah. two sisters and he's also very kind of like that, yeah. but not to downplay it or like to say, I know why you feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if that's a thing. Cause like my older brothers were like a buffer, I guess, in a okay. way, like, yeah. so, but they were also, you know, they were also growing up in this cult. So there wasn't, you know, and one thing about cults is like, there's not there, no one teaches you that you're supposed to be loyal to your own family. You know, I, and one thing I've learned and I've been researching cults for like 10 years, kind of on and off. Yeah. And, and like, one of the things they say is like, they actually, like the cult leader actually tries to weaken family bonds yeah. because if you become too empowered as like an individual unit yeah. of a family or even just yourself, they want to neutralize that and dissolve it. Yeah. So, you know, that's why they don't, they don't try to make the bond strong between yeah. like, it's like parents have to choose the church over their own children. So that's kind of what they're pitted against often. And that's yeah. how it was in my generation. Yeah. So. Yeah. Big time. I mean, I, I even, I remember there was kind of like encouraged at the various like workshops and camps that we went to. It was, it was effectively encouraged by the leadership to sort of like rat out rat out your 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 friends and your siblings yeah, yeah. Like, like reporting yeah. yeah like reporting your siblings like oh this you know i heard that this guy had a porno mag yeah. and obviously that's <laughs> you know the worst thing in the world and so mm -hmm. then someone tells that to their leader and then it goes up the food chain and then like you know you're hearing about it from you know someone's sibling and like basically they're encouraging that sort of rat ratting out basically and it definitely yeah it's, I mean, I saw that happen in my own experience, and I agree with you completely. It's it's an intentional uh, dis disillusion of the of the family bonds by putting the needs of the group above. Yeah, yeah it's just like you don't okay. see it at the time. You just think, oh, this is my team, and I have to follow the leader of my team. You know, it's like sports, yeah. like so. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, but I, I'll just say, <laughs> I know I kind of went on a tangent a bit, but I'll just I'll I'll wrap up my timeline of how I got yeah. to where I am now. Yeah. I'll just keep it brief. Yeah. So in, in 1992, my family moved to Seattle because Moon said we have to go to our dad's, what is it? Hometown and like witness yeah, to more people. I remember that, yeah. But yeah, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and I learned this of other families too, a lot of parents who moved from New York to their dad's hometown, wherever that was, they kind of saw it as a way out of the church. They're like, I'm getting away from this. Cause like, 
my parents saw how it like changed over the years and became yeah. more about money and power. It just snowballed. And they didn't like that because they started in like hippie San Francisco, you know, so in the 60s. Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of people joined. And anyway, I said I wouldn't go to uh, So, yeah, I was in Seattle, well, Bellevue, Washington, you know, I was 18. And then, yeah, that was kind of, it was hard because it wasn't as dense of a church community. So I had yeah. to like kind of, I had to kind of enter the world and Bellevue's very rich and my parents are both blue collar and like we just were you know, scraping by, getting money mm-hmm. from a food bank. And I think a lot of wow. church families have this kind of story. Yeah. Wow. Um, but somehow made it like, I don't know, my parents were very determined. My mom's a very strong person. So it was pretty amazing. My dad did art. It was like, what? Like he painted murals to like get by and he still yeah. does. And anyway, it was pretty crazy. But I think, yeah, the, the, their old church community, you know, there's some church members there too, or like some people from their generation. And I think they might've helped them out. You know, there's still okay. that community element, you know, yeah. church or not. So yep. it, I guess that's kind of what saved us at the same time. So, yeah. So I, I spent, yeah, that was in the nineties also. So I got yeah. into like grunge and like alternative and mm-hmm. like, it was kind of cool to be there in the nineties. Like to be yeah, what, a, what a place. Yeah. Seattle in the nineties. <laughs> Hell yes. What a great time. It's amazing. <laughs> I yeah, mean, was I cool. was growing up in DC. Like, like Seattle was the place to be. Everyone was talking about what was happening in oh, yeah. Seattle. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's some sub pop bands from DC. So. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, yeah. DC had a great music scene at least when I was there. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of came up on the same grunge that you did, and then in the late '90s, sorry, I digress a bit. I started getting into into punk and <laughs> hardcore, and and DC has a has an awesome yeah like like punk and hardcore scene, or certainly did at the time. Yeah. yeah it was. Black it was, it was epic. Yeah. Yeah. Minor threat. Yeah. Yeah, that's my brother. Like, kind of got. He was like my gateway into a lot of that um, he was more into it and he collected more albums i call him like he's like the librarian and i was just the guy who was borrowing like yeah <laughs> certain albums and cds he had like the whole set i'm like well i don't have to buy it if i can just listen to my yeah, brother. So, yeah so like but yeah I'll, I'll get back to that too a little bit but uh, yeah so i just yeah it was cool it, it kind of made me more like west coast and kind of like you know anti and stuff. but then i yeah and then i went to the university of bridgeport uh, well no, no no i won't jump to that yet but I did. Then I did STF actually right after and high school. Did you My consider yourself it? in like in the church at that point, or were I, you like kind of leaving? And actually, before you answer that, yeah. just for people that aren't familiar with it, STF is a is a church sponsored program where high school graduates will go out and effectively do a, a mission year that usually comprises of fundraising and witnessing. So doing doing one yeah. of two things for a year, either getting getting funds into the church or recruiting more people to get more funds into the church and and the fact that those are the two aims uh i think tells you something about the organization yeah Yeah. well and just just to add like a little more complexity to it to i remember this one ex-church member here in san francisco who i met with who saw me on like a and e on that show he we talked about it he's like well the way it worked it was like they recruited anyone and like if you go to the blessing it's just like okay whatever they're gone okay we need to find new people like you know mm. it's like the goal was to like get people blessed in an ideal families yeah and, like, you know, but they also asked for money for them like quote-unquote donations yeah. Yeah. to me it's like church taxes that's what i call it yeah yeah uh, and actually let me just pause there so for anyone who's, who's unfamiliar mm. the blessing in this context is effectively a unification church wedding and is the 
mass weddings and is the most important thing you can do as a church member, effectively becoming married to another person in the church is the, the ultimate for a lot of theological reasons that we won't go into. It's like the one purpose of being in the church effectively. Yeah. Um, and there are other resources that can, can guide you through that. But anyway, mm-hmm. I, I digress. Uh, yeah. So like, where is I? Oh yeah. So I, d- I did that. And, and fundraising is what the church calls it also, but it's like, I learned later it's called labor trafficking, which yeah. is like, basically, <laughs> yeah, that's the real word for it. Right. Yeah. No, it was great. Just in studying cults and stuff, I, I learned, oh, I was like, holy crap. Like a lot of cults do this. Like yeah. a lot of them were it, like, it, it made me feel like we're one of many, like I'm not alone like, yeah. in this little world. You know? Yeah, so, exactly. And and actually that, yeah. that's, that's one reason why I want to do this is just to show people that we are one of many and there's nothing unique about the Unification Church at all. Sorry, to, sorry to yeah. say, but it's all been done before. It's, it's just this is just a different flavor of other stuff, and I think that's for people who are considering, you know, the possibility of leaving something that seems amazing at the time. Just opening, opening the, the opening eyes to the fact that this is all stuff that's been done before in different ways. I think can be can be quite mm-hmm. illuminating. So I'm interested in talking more about yeah. those similarities that you may have seen. Yeah, it's it's kind of a culmination of a lot of different stuff. It's like, you know, Korean Christ or Confucian Christianity, kind of some North Korean militarism. Yeah. yeah. And then there's like conservatism, like American conservatism. And yeah. I don't know, politics yeah. and lobbying and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All that stuff. Actually, let's. So, OK, just on that, just on the North Korea thing, because it's the second time you've mentioned it, and I just, okay. I just want, I just want to mention. Yeah. There's a lot more to talk about it, but basically, I, in general, I'm kind of, kind of curious about the, the, the similarities that we as second generation cult members are able to see between, between the cult that we're born into and other, and other parts of the world, effectively. And one of the things that that I've come across in the last, I guess, is probably over ten years ago now, was a book by I believe her name is is Barbara Demick and it's it's called Nothing to Envy and it's about North Korea I think she's a reporter who spent a lot long time in North Korea and it's about effectively North Korean history and sociology and what it's like to live there now and she she dives into a, just kind of the 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 cultural history of the place and for anyone anyone who's listening who who is kind of at all interested in where reverend moon may have gotten some of his ideas i think it's a really fascinating book because by talking about the history of north korea you can actually see where a lot of his ideas come from mm. and specifically like well for me one of the eye openers was you know there's there's a ton of historical animosity between North Korea and Japan due to how you know, North Koreans were treated by the Japanese during the occupation. And, you know, they were basically treated as second class citizens. Uh, they were told that they were like, you know, terrible people, blah, 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 blah. So hmm. is it any wonder, I guess the way that I've thought it was like, is it any wonder that a guy who grew up in there, when he started to get a little bit of power and a little bit of influence, one of his big things was, hey, oh, okay, North Koreans are going to be, or Koreans in general are going to be the chosen people of the future. And by the way, Japan needs to pay for what they did to, to yeah. us, which I know I'm paraphrasing, but that is that is built into the, to the theology mm-hmm. of the church. 
And anyway, I just thought it was really fascinating reading that book and, and seeing that history and, and Mm -hmm. thinking about a guy growing up there and what it might do to him in the future. And there's a lot of other stuff they talk about, just the whole culture, kind of as you were mentioning, sort of like how they, how the dictatorship manages its people and how it treats them and how it indoctrinates them. It's all been done in North Korea for a long time and, and being copied by, by Reverend Moon and his, and his followers and his family um yeah it's just like moon's own narrative for the same aggressions yeah yes uh, exactly exactly he's just made it super religious and wacky but yeah yeah and then anyway I, i'm not gonna dig too deep into that yet yeah we'll get to it today but uh, yeah so i'm thinking of that there's there's a book i'll just say the the book's name that yeah. when, I, when i mean by wacky is it's called change of blood lineage and ritual sex by christy l navalin i think okay. is how you're saying it. okay that explains a lot about korean shamanism and, and how like sex like ritual sex played a role yeah. in the church because yeah there was a lot tied to that with the philosophy so yeah i mean i'll i'll, I'll say also nothing was done to me ever but yeah. I, there were some kids who especially around the moons or who who know about the moon kids because the moon moons were seen as precious yeah there was some weird sex stuff that happened with them because they were thought to have pure blood and it's like transmitted through the blood or whatever through sex yeah Uh, so or like purification quote unquote yeah it's like granted through sex so there's that but to a lot lighter degree to the average church member so like you know we didn't see a lot of that but anyway yeah just read any just google that about yeah. this. <laughs> yeah i think that's that's yeah. fair and that's ultimately like that's where i want to that's where i want to go with this is just sort of pointing people to two specific resources as opposed to necessarily diving into to all of them in great depth i just want yeah. just want this to sort of serve yeah. as a as a jumping off point for people who may be interested in, in right. looking at other in, in other places so i yeah. guess just kind of going going back well i, I guess does anything I'm kind of curious if there are any other sort of books that books that you read that have been sort of particularly illuminating and actually not necessarily right now, but I'm, I'm thinking about, so when, when you, I know we were kind of jumping around here, but when you were mm-hmm. first questioning the church and sort of trying to figure that out, like what, what did, what did the pathway look like to finally being like, this isn't for me. And what were some of the resources that you came across along the way that, that, that helped you get there mm-hmm. mentally? Okay. Well, like my parents, yeah, like I said, my, my family kind of drifted away from the church in Seattle. And then when I got back from SDF, I was like 18. SDF stands for Special Task Force, by the way. Now they have GPA, Generation Peace Academy. It's very similar. Uh, oh, I didn't but, know uh, that. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So same, same thing, different yeah. acronym? Yeah, they made it more, it's called like... Generation Peace Academy. So they gave it more of this official name. And yeah, but I've seen people who complain about it online and say it's like, it's still labor trafficking. Yeah. And was it, is it, I just hear that word academy in there. And does that mean like they're they're trying to make it like a school? So, and therefore you can have, yeah, there's a trailer you can watch from from the website. There's like a Vimeo trailer. Yeah. And it, it shows a lot of, and then there's like one, part in the middle where like they show the bands take off and everyone's like bye to the fundraising teams and they're oh like god. fuck that like, yeah oh my god <laughs> just like they're out to make money for this fucking you know decadent family 
anyway but oh they also God. pay for their own expenses but still it's like there's no they get cash because like there's no tax recording yeah, yeah being a religious nonprofit. exactly exactly yeah all cash three million in cash basically untaxed un, unregulated Mafia. as you say labor trafficking yeah, yeah. so and Easy. you know i'd love to see let's see a diagram of what happens to that money after yeah. after collection anyway For yeah sure. you, you just opened um, my eyes to this whole gpa thing oh, that that's really unfortunate yeah yeah that's something to look look into i guess but yeah after we were talking okay my timeline yeah so like is right after i came back from scf and my parents sat me down and i think they saw that i was a really charged like you know like i went to kind of see if the church was for me quote unquote yeah. but really you just get labor tracked traffic exhaustively to where like you kind of start to depending on the it's yeah. it's very traumatizing actually and i'm yeah. talking with other people online about it you know i think it changed me more than someone who didn't go so like yeah i my parents sat me down and they're like you know you don't have to go to the the blessing or what, the, the matching you know and, and that, that was like what like, <laughs> oh my yeah, god yeah right after I'm so like, it was like the oh biggest my god. shock yeah. So I went through some like serious cognitive dissonance and my sister had done STF too. Like, so she was like, we got to save our family. Like, you know, like we didn't know what to do. We didn't, because right there you saw the difference between like, do I trust the church that was my providers and raised me and gave me morality? Or do I trust these two people who took care of me, my parents who, you know, aren't as important and they don't have as much going on. They don't have as much power and like ability to like give me like a foundation as this mighty church, you know, that gave me my friends and community. So it's like this, like very like visceral, like gut, like, well, that's so much better, you know? So right there you see like, wow, flesh and blood or this thing that like, is comfortable or you're you're and taught that it's comfortable i think also if you just just think about the the philosophy of the whole thing like the very idea that moon and his wife are your true parents what does that say about your actual biological parents it's, it's well that they're, yeah, the, um, and they're false and you shouldn't really trust them and you know you should put all your mm-hmm. all your yeah. all your trust in in the moons and in the organization that they've built so that yeah. you know that yeah, that that sort of distrust of your own parents is kind of built into the built into the system in a yeah. way. Yeah, there's this cult scholar named Margaret Singer, not Sanger, who is like you know this racist woman in history. I, anyway, <laughs> thank, I said it in an interview. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, and someone's like Margaret Sanger. Why is he? I'm like no. Anyway, but uh, yeah, like. <laughs> So like she she said like she came up with this term like parents are like middle managers in cults. Yeah. Oh wow, that's a great wow. Follow. You just yeah. blew my mind there. Yeah. Right. Like that's oh my that's god. That's what it did to me when I first heard that. They're they're in the role of middle managers, and so and in my therapy, like <laughs> yeah, like so wow. in therapy, like things started to click more when I saw that I grew up in a larger dysfunctional family, you know, with these yeah. parents or these like providers uh, yeah. who were very unhinged so yeah yeah no, sorry yeah. i'm just thinking i'm just thinking about like my boss now like my middle management in my job and yeah. like <laughs> what his job is like you know his job is basically to get me to do the things that are going to contribute to what i need to contribute to the overall company's goal like that's mm-hmm. what he that's what his job is and that's the job of like all middle yeah. managers everywhere uh, and his job is also like yeah. reporting what i'm doing 
back up the back up the the chain of command so that they know I'm doing the right things and if I'm not they mm-hmm. you know they can try and address it blah 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 and I'm sure pretty much every middle manager does that with you know varying degrees of success and empathy along the way depending on who they are but Mm. fundamentally that's what they do right they they serve the yeah. organization above them uh and mm-hmm. if they're good they do it in a way that's that's good for the people below them but ultimately mm-hmm. their aims are not your aims yeah. their, or their aims it's it's the aims mm-hmm. of the of the organization itself yeah wow that i mean i never heard it broken down like that but yeah that's that's a great that was a great breakdown. Maybe, um, maybe just because I, I talk to middle management all the time in my job. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah so exactly. I usually, just speak to an art director, and they speak to middle management. So. Oh no no no! no. It's like um, yeah yeah. Anyway. <laughs> interesting. Or HR, like it's same thing. Like you yeah. go to HR with like problems, but ultimately they serve the company. So. Yeah. That's one mistake I made at one job. I confided in them too much. I complained about one employee and then it kind of backfired. Oh, so yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you got to be careful advice. there. Yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. be careful there. I ended up quitting, but that was a good thing overall. It was just, it's kind of toxic yeah. anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so <laughs> once again, going back to the timeline. But yeah. So yeah, after, okay, after SCF, I, I actually got convinced by like a friend who grew up in the church also to go to Bridgeport. And so I did for like two okay. years. And, okay, and um, pause there. Bridgeport is a, is a church-run sure. university in Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it was. And I think like maybe two or three years ago, they let it go finally because the okay. church is kind of losing money ever since Sun Myung Moon died. Yeah. You know, it's split up into different factions led by different Moon family members and they're kind of rival each other. So, you know, it's kind of a slow dissolving. I don't know. That's kind of how I see it, but they're still yeah. very powerful. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, I, I went there for two years and like then, yeah, I was kind of back and forth between the East and West coast. I lived at home for like two years and then I went to school of visual arts which is like my okay. dream school yeah and i studied animation there and uh, yeah i okay but wait sorry this is kind of out of context you were talking about my fade out from the church yeah um, actually when when i was at bridgeport that was the time i think in 1999 when young jin philip moon died who was one of moon's yeah. sons who's yeah he's like he was like best friends with sean moon who runs the sanctuary church yeah. which i was on the a and e show about yeah yeah, it's the, yeah. Uh, the gun church, you know, they yeah, were in yeah. Pennsylvania. I remember being at a workshop in maybe like 94 or something like that. And both mm-hmm. of them were there. Sean, and did you say Justin was, was his name? I just uh, Philip Moon. Justin Sean is his Phil- kind of partner in crime. In, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so Sean and then Philip. Yeah. And I remember they yeah. were both at the same workshop. Uh, hmm. Sean was a complete asshole. Like, yeah, he was just like mm-hmm. beating up kids. That's he got in a boy. huge fight with with someone. There's this one older guy in the mm-hmm. in the middle of a lecture, or, or he gave a lecture on he he he, he gave a lecture, and Sean wasn't happy with what he said, and basically basically like called him out in the middle of it with like hundreds of us little kids around him, yeah. uh, and Sounds got in this sense. really heated debate with this mm-hmm. this older older guy who was basically just trying to have a bit of compassion for us younger kids effectively oh, i don't wow. know if I'm, i should mention his name here but my hat is off to him because he he he, he went toe-to-toe with with sean moon like a like a goddamn champion wow. and and put that yeah, motherfucker in nice. his place um, wow so really uh, he, he sat down after that he didn't sat down but he backed down he backed down yeah. I, I i don't know if i can say this guy's name or not maybe we can edit shouldn't. Yeah, look, we can edit it out later if we want. I don't know if you know if you know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that family. Yeah, they 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 were a pretty empowered family. Uh, yeah, 
they, yes. they knew the moons like they, yeah. they were up there with them yeah, yeah yeah so that guy basically like i, I mean he knew sean he was like he yeah sean you're a weasel <laughs> yeah exactly you're a weasel yeah. and he put him in his place in front of all of us they were shouting at each other for like 40 minutes or something wow um, it was it was incredible wow. But yeah. I mean, I I remember that that guy. Yeah, he's a goddamn legend in my mind for 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 doing yeah. that. He's um, not in the church anymore. He left okay. a long time ago. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I should look him up and just say thank you because I will always remember him for being that guy. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is that so Sean was a complete asshole. Philip, mm-hmm. on the other hand, was kind of awesome. He was like, yeah. he was like really like he was he had empathy. empathy. Yeah, he had yeah. empathy, and he kind of like he actually like wanted to know about you and what you're going mm-hmm. through he like yeah he was actually nice and i only overlapped with them for that like week or two at that camp it's the only time i ever yeah. like met either of them but the, i mean it was it was like night and day that the, the two of them um, yeah so i was actually really sad when that guy died because like well when he committed suicide yeah because uh, it was like he just seemed like a good guy and like i mean no one no mm-hmm. one deserves, deserves that um yeah so i mean you basically said exactly kind of what i was going for like growing up in Terrytown, they would go to the church properties where some families lived and yeah i yeah. saw how they treated people well they meaning one person yeah just sean moon who like yeah. you know would beat him up and you know he i heard things like he would lock them in closets until they cried and he would like yeah. ma- he would make them fight each other for his entertainment you know like they were just toys to him yeah people were just toys yeah so like yeah so this dude like anyway so his brother yeah he he committed suicide the church said he was possessed by a demon yeah i know right what fucking assholes i'm sorry yeah (laughs) yeah so like he did in like in reno i think in 1999 and you know i was like whoa like and that was like a big shock for everyone and right afterwards the church sent out this email that's that blamed members they're like you didn't have enough faith. Like the American church yeah. didn't have enough faith. The Japanese church didn't have yeah. enough faith. And like you yeah. caused this. Yeah. And right there, like my family had already left and I wasn't sure where I was, but yeah. right there I was like, oh no. Like yeah. I see where their priorities lie and it's yeah. not with us. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, Sorry, just on yes. that, just on that, there's actually right there. a video on YouTube of, of someone, some church leader, I forget who, mm-hmm. basically in the wake of, of his death, berating members and telling them it's their fault. Wow. So, there's I, a video. There's a wow. video online. I'll, I'll look it up yeah. and I'll put it in the show notes for this because people should okay. see. Yeah. And I think, I think Moon himself, like I saw, was quoted, Sun Myung Moon, his, their, you know, Philip's dad was like, he was also blaming members like it's like he, they just didn't know how to have like you know kind of space like for their emotions yeah. like there just yeah. wasn't i mean we were taught essentially in the church that emotions are weak like that's basically yeah. you know the only emotions we were allowed to have were like anger and rage towards like satan like or or, or love yeah. and adoration towards the moon family that was yeah that was and the like only... they spoke a lot about true love and like it was yeah. all just like a performance like yeah. i realized you know so it was just yeah proving yourself and like i don't know it was just so phony like and i didn't realize yeah. that until i went to like college household like my college friends at school of visual arts i was like in a band in jersey like and i would just see how the guy would interact with his parents and his parents knew everything about him like this one friend of mine who's the yeah. other guitarist in the band and like his parents knew what kind of video games and movies he liked and stuff. And I was like, you can like, essentially what I boiled it down to was like, you can feel pleasure in your parental relationships. Like it's okay to like, like and want things and for parents to know that and to serve that. 
yeah know, as a child that's really like, that's so much wow. better yeah, yeah that's really interesting just hearing that it kind of reminds me like I, I think of like my yeah that this idea of like just accepting like pleasure and being okay with it and like yeah. and being okay looking for it because like if i if it sounds like you and i had a similar upbringing like like my father would never like just say like hey let's like let's, let's like watch a let's like watch a film together or like what do you mm-hmm. what what cartoons are you yeah. into what like you yeah. know what video games are you into like all that he did like they just had zero interest every now and then i could drag him to the cinema but it was very rare and but it, yeah it just felt like literally like there was just zero interest in like what i was interested in and like what i wanted to to do with my life and what i wanted to experience in my life yeah it sounds kind of similar on your side yeah totally it's 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 tough you know and i just you know over the years i've had to kind of get into my parents headspace so it's just so I don't like put it all on them like if you really and just studying cults and stuff it's like they're put in a position where they were love bombed you know basically which is love bombed is like how they shower you with love like church members when they're witnessing to you and like to where like you're just overwhelmed and you get sucked into it like into this church where like that does everything for them it gives them a house it gives them a job it gives them the community And like, do if they start loving their child, like with their own autonomy and not according to the rules of the yeah. church that they, that was programmed in them, then they lose all that or they, yeah. they're not trusted. And like, they yeah. have to start over on their own. Yeah. And that's where like, you know, cults recruit a lot of people who are in college because yeah. like you're just starting to like, you know, enter the world and yep. like, if they pick you up and then they put you on the bandwagon, then you don't have to develop those personal, you know, strengths and like sense of claiming resources for yourself yeah. or, or earning those and you, yeah. you never develop it. So, you know, my parents had to learn that the hard way after we left, like in the, in the nineties and yeah. man, it was tough. Like I was stuffing envelopes with my mom to help pay rent for the house. And, like, yeah. you know, it was just, it was a hustle, but we didn't have it as bad as, as some families. I don't want to say any names, but there is the family I remember who I remember I got a glimpse because my parents were kind of respected members because they were mm. some of the earliest American church members. Yeah. And like, so we got like a nice house and like, I think it gave him a sense, even after the church, it gave him a sense of importance enough to like really hustle and like, you know, give us like a decent childhood, uh, like yeah, even okay. after the church. Okay. Whereas a lot of families were like, you know, one family I knew lived in a basement and like, you know, yeah. I think, you know, this family, I'm not going to say any names, but yeah, uh, I think I know who you're they, talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I remember like one time when I came over, uh, like I was just down there with some church friends just hanging out and like their mom was like counting change from like a coffee can she kept in a tin. Like it was something straight out of like, you know, Charles, like Charles Dickens. Dickens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and and yeah, I I I think I know who you're talking about. And yeah, I remember mm-hmm. I remember I'm pretty sure I remember them like selling flowers on the side of the road like every Christmas mm-hmm. and every Easter, not Christmas, whenever whatever the big holidays are for it. I guess yeah. I guess like you know Valentine's Day or what, whenever. Like that was that was the hustle that the Moons had put put into them, and that's yeah. kind of like how they could hustle to survive. I mean, it's crazy to think. I, even when they were doing that fundraising, like for themselves, like how much of that were they still giving back to the church uh, yeah. during, during that, during that time? I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. You're talking about, 
Yeah, I know. It's 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 just this like vacuum or this snowball. And that same ex-member who I met here who told me some old stories of the church and yeah. stuff, which is really fascinating. Like I love talking to them now. Yeah. But well, some of them, some of them are a little <laughs> out there and maybe yeah. I hope they find a therapist or something. But you know, this one guy was saying like he was there when the 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 church started a newspaper called the Washington Times, which is this ultra conservative, you know, some people call it conspiracy theorist paper where yeah. like they let like Ted Nugent and like Newt Gingrich write the columns and stuff. Are and, they allowing that yeah. these days? I've never, I've never really kept up with what they're, I, I know conceptually what they are, but yeah. I've never really read them to the point of knowing that like Ted Nugent has a fucking, <laughs> fucking show, like, column. An in opinion. It. Yeah. Column. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. I think they've toned it down a little since they went online uh, to like try not to scare people away, but every now and then they'll have an opinion column where it's like coronavirus is a conspiracy. And it's yeah. like, can we, it's, can, it's really I, a problem. I, can we just, I just want to pause there for a second and just say like so in my in my i've read some of the cult literature as well probably not as as much as you, as you but there is in some of the, some of the cult literature especially for people that are leaving and or thinking or thinking about leaving they 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 have this idea of like okay if you knew now what you knew about the cult or you're, you're not the cult if you knew now what you knew about this group would you have gotten involved with it if they gave you a contract and said this yeah. is what you're going to do for us yeah. during during this during <laughs> during this time frame yeah. and this is this is what you're going to get for it just like a normal mm. employment contract would you have signed it so i, I think that's mm. an in- interesting sort of mental mental utility to use and what i would really like anyone who is still in the unification church to do right now is honestly answer this when you decided yeah. to give your life to this yeah. movement, so especially yeah. the older members who did it and gave everything to start the Washington Times. Yeah. You do it so that Ted Nugent could have a column. Is that, is that, <laughs> oh, was that I mean, part of the dream of bringing world peace? I, Just, I, I don't know about that because some of them might think he's a hero. For like the yeah, right wing I, uh, I guess it de- it depends, but I just I really <laughs> want them to answer. Some please, someone please just answer that question in your head, uh, and give me an honest yeah. answer because it's crazy to think about. Yeah. So yeah, like, so like this this guy told me that he was there when when yeah Washington Times was starting, and like I forgot who was it Colonel Pock or like Reverend Kwok, and it was one of those like head church people. Yeah. He, he so basically there's this there's this one form they have to fill out where they have to ask for their salary. It's like this legal thing. Yeah. And so before he gave out the form to them, and he was like, now your brothers and sisters are working really hard on the front line, basically being labor labor trafficked, yeah. like to to help fund this organization so we don't want to take more money from them and make them have to work more so he's coercing them to ask for the lowest salary possible yeah. and that's where this one ex-member now said like he started to just doubt everything and he was yeah. like screw this you know because he knew about if you have any financial know-how then you'll see right through the church because yeah. it's such bs like but if yeah. your head's all wrapped up in religious stuff and yeah you're not gonna see it you're like and yeah. you're, you're gonna struggle but you're gonna be in a state of bliss at the same time so it's, it's complicated because some people are like this is good it's good that we're struggling but then yeah i think the kids who grew up in it like we're the skeptics because we never chose this and like yeah. you know that's where i have to like step back from criticizing first generations like yeah they kind of took it upon themselves to choose this or they were coerced into it without yeah. really knowing i think and I, but some I think, of them just consciously chose but yeah, yeah yeah but even even if they chose i think this is actually something i honestly still 
struggle with this and, and and i would i would imagine many other people in our shoes do is that you know we've we've been through everything we've been through we were the victims of abuse by the organization and by our parents but if you specifically think about you know child abuse effectively you know it's, it's easy to blame your parents but we also have to remember that they were in turn victims of abuse they were yeah. you know like they were right. i don't think any of them ever consciously chose this path yeah. for their kids um they were mm-hmm. you know they were coerced they were manipulated mm-hmm. and they were victims just just like us basically so i think that is and i know some you know sometimes i, I may yeah. I, I may come across as very you know opinionated vis-a-vis the first gen and maybe even my own parents but Equally, I do want to acknowledge acknowledge that that they were all victims in their in their own right, and it doesn't yeah. doesn't make it any any better what they did to us. But mm. at least when we think when we think about it about them as children of those people, we we might be able to, I guess, in weirdly have a bit of sympathy for them. Yeah, I don't know if that's um, too Stockholm syndrome syndrome, but you know, right. it, like I think it's the truth. Like you can't, you know, whether or not it changes how you how you react, how you relate to them is kind of immaterial. It's just the fact is they were also victims. And that's just, that's just the point that I want to put out there. I would say like the sliding scale there is like, if they were like physically abusive or they were just like really awful people to you, like maybe you lend less empathy and that's like more of a gut feeling. Correct. Yeah. But I feel like my parents are good people. They, you know, they have, they, they try to do the right thing. Like I see that they try to do the right thing and they're conscious and, they will like, you know, edit themselves if they have to. So like for that, you know, it does hang on my heart to like want to get along with them to some degree and like want to understand them to some degree, you know, but I know that's different for everyone. I know some people's yeah. parents, especially sadly, you know, people who grew up LGBTQ, like, you know, who's yeah. kind of completely not tolerant because the church yeah. was not tolerant and like, yeah. you know, screw that. Like, yeah. Like, like that's got to be so hard and I have like so much compassion for them but yeah my parents like actually you know one huge thing that helped was like maybe like yeah early on I, I kind of was like okay maybe I'll write a graphic novel about my childhood yeah. in the church and yeah since then I've I've kind of went public because of politics since 2016 I'm like I gotta yeah. talk about this now because I saw yeah politics yeah I give you a lot of credit I give anyway, you a lot of credit for, for doing it but also for doing it then as well yeah, I'm just like, that's just where my gut went to. I'm like, this is yeah. how I can speak to this, you know? Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so like, so in order to do that graphic novel, at least idea at the time, I uh, I was like, I have to interview my parents. So that answered so many questions. Actually. And I would encourage anyone, okay. if you want to like, if you want answers, like, you know, and they're, they're not going to even know that they're giving you answers that you wanted to know because yeah. unfortunately they've been wrapped up too much in like, church like speak and stuff but like what I learned was like you know I was like what was your life like before the church dad and mom and what were your childhoods like and you know so many questions and my dad said and I never knew this about my dad until yeah this was maybe like four or five years ago yeah he was like well I you know I was I was passed around a lot as a kid until I was nine I was like wait passed around like to like your family members like extended family it's like, well, yeah, my, my mom was like too poor and like after a divorce to like take care of me. So, 
she looked up in like classifieds in newspapers of anyone taking in children. Whoa. So like every two or three years, he was pastor. So he was basically like a foster child. And I don't Whoa, even know how like, legit it was. Not even with like, any of the protections of the foster care system, though. Just yeah. like outside of that. So nobody knows like what happened to him or it's like, what kind of person Whoa. do you think would take in a kid who puts a classified, you know, ad? Yeah. Oh, you're mildly crazy thinking about that. So yeah, I just, oh, I, it Jesus. answered so much about my dad and how he's wow. not like really there sometimes. Like he oh, wants man. to do the right thing, but yeah. And then I could, I could also see, I could see how him being like, you know, trying to say true love and like all these blessing yeah. kind of things, like that all came from the church. Like if he didn't have that, he'd probably be like a skeptic more. And he'd like, I don't know, he'd probably call stuff out and, like he probably wouldn't have kids. Like that's mm-hmm. the bottom line. Like yeah. I just know he wouldn't have had kids at all. Like yeah. he didn't really have like a, a model for that growing yeah. up. I feel like so. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's one of the things. I think a lot of parents wouldn't. A lot of dads wouldn't have kids in the church if they never yeah. joined the church. Yeah. They were just you know it's like this narcissistic pool and. That's just like what you have to do to get by. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I actually, I don't, with my dad, I don't really know. I guess, I mean, I could, I could speculate, but in a way it's like, you'll never really know the answer to that question because at the end of the day, they all had kids because the organization told them to. And that's, yeah. that's, that's how it unfolded and we can't go back in time, but you know, there's, there, there's always yeah. going to be a bit of, I think there is always going to be a bit of in all in all of us who, who grew up in places like this is like just this this recognition that we are just sort of products of the organization we're, we're products of the of the machine more than more than necessarily anything specific about the, the love that our parents had for each other or anything else like that yeah it's the, the way i see it is like because the moons were so rich off exploited members it's like it really made me have to like figure out like why do people have families like why do people have kids what the bottom line for me is like safety because like because this organization is so rich and there's such a big community and everyone is like tunnel vision with this single line of thought you're like okay like i don't have to question anything everything makes sense in this world so i'm gonna have kids because i feel safe yeah it's like safety i think is the number one thing yeah even if that safety is built on a toxic system, like, yeah, you know, it's like someone said, it's like the Sopranos. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It the is. moons are literally a mafia family. It is, so. it is. completely. The Sopranos. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so if we, yeah, I forget where, where we were too. This is a great conversation, but like we're going all kinds of places. So I don't even think we kind of, did we, did we finish up kind of like discussing like your process for, for leaving? Or um, yeah, I- that that was my process. Yeah, the so like yeah, just yeah, that the young Jin suicide thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that that was a light bulb moment for you. I think yeah, that's kind of like what I'm really interested in. Or those those light bulb moments that people have along along the way. And it sounds mm-hmm. like that was that was sort of when the penny yeah. dropped for you. Was 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 that moment? Yeah. Yeah. That that was it. Yeah. And I don't know. Also, like as an artist and writer, I just kind of personally like this was an artistic choice to go down this path of like investigating the church and like yeah. ooh, this cult and like 
originally what I what I like when I want to make clear to people is like I originally chose that like a little over a decade ago because I wanted to prove to the media and stuff that like hey you know my childhood wasn't so bad like we we, we had nice properties and we had a good community we cared about each other but I just did like maybe a few maybe like two or three weeks of research and talking to ex-members and I just realized like you know everything we I used to like uh, sweep under the rug of like yeah. there's this scandal or there's this violence like yeah it's really that bad and like this yeah. is what I have to pay attention to and I and then I just joined like ex Mooney groups online yeah. right after like probably within a month I was like I am a staunch ex member now because yeah. this is so messed up <laughs> like all that's all people have to yeah. do is just like look up a little bit and like yeah um, exactly you know, like, depending on how invested you are in it and how much yeah. like your livelihood depends on the church yeah is how much you can take in and i was already yeah. like an independent working person and you know i had a job and like so yeah yeah you know. i think that i think that helps and yeah I, but there is always this sense I, I think when you're really in the when you're stuck in it it's like you know you people can throw anything at you and you're like well no it, it's it's fake. People are just trying to bring the man down, you know, cause that's what Satan is trying to do. You know, I kind of remember that when I was leaving was like my first, my first instinct when I, when I heard about, when I saw the TV show with Nanser Kong on, on 60 minutes, oh, yeah. my first instinct when she, when she basically talked about how Reverend Moon had these illegitimate children, my first instinct was like, nope, it's not true. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's a lie. People are just trying to bring him down, you know? And mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, no matter how much evidence you throw at them, that's going to be their first, their first instinct. Mm -hmm. If they're, if they're really, if they're really believing. Yeah. There's uh, this article in the New Yorker that went around about that. Like, you know, of course, during Trump's presidency, like maybe two years ago, it says like, why, why people don't accept facts or something. Why people yeah. don't believe. Yeah. yeah, like I see that sourced in a lot of articles, like Interesting. Along the lines okay. of research. So. Yeah, and I even sourced it in an article I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's because it's like a survival thing. It's like exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think the, for people like our parents who decided to join, it's a pretty big mental. It's, it's a big deal mentally to to start to really look at the flaws in something that you've dedicated, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of your life to potentially to turn your back on that. That's a really big, big ask, understandably. So yeah. I think the barriers are just a lot higher, but for, for people yeah. like you and me, I think it's, it's easier because we never really made the choice. It just makes it easier, makes it easier to question it. Um, yeah, it, do, it does. And it doesn't in that, like, there's this thing called the pre-cult identity, which first generations yeah. Uh, so yeah. they can refer yeah. back to life before yes. yeah and like we don't have that it's like a yeah you know yeah uh, you know, start over and build exactly. trust with things you were taught not to trust as an adult all of a sudden yeah like, basically it's like most like we use this in in at work it's like we try to get feedback early on before i actually make like a motion graphic or a video right. or something like that okay. and the, the way the the way they analogize that it's like it's like baking a cake you got to have the ingredients early on before you bake the cake yeah feedback when the video is done then i have to start all over again and change all these things and so that's like that's like growing up in the church it's like if you don't get elements from the real world of like you know healthy financial habits and stuff yeah. like that like healthy sense of autonomy early yeah. on you're already a baked cake and like yeah it's going to be hard to put those ingredients in after but yeah it's not yeah, impossible exactly. yeah like, so how do you 
Yeah. So what do you think helps with that? Cause I think that that's a really interesting, interesting thread is like, what is it, what does that look like? Cause that, that that's kind of, I view myself as sort of now trying to find those ingredients and mix them up and bake my own cake effectively. So yeah. I guess I'm trying to, and, and I agree with you completely. We, neither of us have that pre-cult identity to refer back to. So we're, we're mm-hmm. effectively starting from scratch. So yeah. I'm just wondering like, what, what does that, what does that look like and how does it, if we just take a step back, like what the, we were all taught sort of, you know, what success looked like in life and in, in relationships. And I'm just wondering what that looks like now as you're trying to sort of bake this cake. Sorry, we're probably pushing yeah. too, too hard on this cake analogy, but like, what's the shape of the cake that you're looking for now? If you, right. if you even know, what, is, what does that look like? If you take away all the crap that the church gave us about, it's your job to have kids yeah. and have a family and, and all the rest. Like, work okay, for the church. Work for yeah. the church scrap yeah. all of that and like like the world is your oyster you kind of do anything what is what is so yeah what does success look like in that world effectively i mean it's to be honest it's unclear like i just yeah, try to I save am. money and yeah. another another like wrench in the wheel for i don't want to yeah. say wrench in the wheel yeah. but another like really difficult thing is like my dad is an artist who paints murals we we don't have it into like real world financial like savvy and like benefits and 401ks this is all yeah. stuff as kids had to learn on our own yeah and so like even to build a savings like i didn't know i was supposed to do that until i was in my like mid-30s and yeah you know there was talk about it and i'm like oh thank god i know this now and i'm building a savings for when i'm too old i can't work but uh, like so i but it's not very clear i just okay you know i'm just right now like I settle down with someone. I don't think I'll ever have kids and like, mm-hmm. just keep working and, you know, just kind of keep chugging along. I mean, so as an artist, like I do want to keep, you know, putting art, I have to keep making projects. I have yeah. to keep working on things that I can be proud of. You know, I'm proud of the work I've done, like in my activism with speaking yeah. out about the church and stuff yeah. like that. And like, but at the same time, I need something that's my own. Like yeah. those are interviews I had. Yeah. You can't make shows. that your whole life, man. You, you can't, you got to have other stuff. Yeah. I yeah. Yeah. And it's harder. Like, I don't know, the older you get, it's like, it, it's a habit you have to build too. And then you also have a day job and I don't know. Yeah. It's tough. It's, I try like just giving yourself room to breathe, I guess. And another thing I was going to say is just responding to how it's like, you know, no pre-cult identity. You got to start all over. A good thing my therapist told me and that I've heard here and there is like, you know, whether you were in the church or not, like you were always yourself, like you you always had to deal with the conditions that were around you as you were in the way that you knew how to work best with yourself through them. That's like therapeutic to hear too, you know? Yeah. Um, And like, I, I actually talked to another person who was like a cult expert slash like therapist just to consult her, like from my current therapist once okay so there was like another person i go to group therapy ex-cult group therapy like wow that exists and yes yay it's near me but yeah so there was another yeah yeah so there was another second generation mooney who was gonna join the therapy group and i was like ah worlds collide like (laughs) it it kind of messed with my head because i was like this is my own space away from everyone and like i don't want that so but I was like I don't want to deny someone therapy like what an asshole I would be so like I consulted another therapist like over zoom and like another key word she said was like you know like 
she was like, you're going to be in and out of the church, like probably for the rest of your life, you're going to be dealing with this. You're never going to completely go away from it. It's going to keep coming back as such a big yeah. part of your life. Yeah. She's like, you know, I would just say, just, just try to keep it neutral. Like it's neutral. Like that mm-hmm. word. I was like, wow, that's like a great way to put it. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So yeah. so yeah, since then she's been in the group and again with me like being skeptical because I didn't really know this person that well okay. uh she kind of or they didn't really like go to workshops and stuff as much but okay they did. so you just kind of were less familiar with them just because of circumstances of growing up yeah so so it was really weird I was like I hope the biggest thing I was worried about is like I hope they don't depend on me and like oh I'm doing it because this other ex Mooney did it so yeah like, you know, but no, like after the first session, like they really, really just kind of, I, I kind of knew mentally, but not emotionally yet that it would just take a while, kind of like what I was saying before about getting to know new people, it would just take a while for me to like, actually get them and see them as different than my initial assumptions. And yeah. I just had to be patient with myself enough yeah. to like, let that happen. And it, mm-hmm. and it worked. And it's actually like really good now. Okay. And I was just like, this person is different from me in this way. Yeah. And like, you know, there is distinction. And again, yeah. that word that the other therapist told me neutral, like keep it neutral. Yeah. You know, like what we have in common in this space is that we all grew up in a cult, like different cults. And that's what, why we're all here. It doesn't yeah. matter which, like, it's just yeah. like, so yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Well, that's great. That sounds like fair. I mean, just sounds good that you are part of that group in general and good that it has worked out with this other ex Mooney as well. That's really good. It doesn't surprise me that it worked out. I could, I can understand your apprehension apprehension to start with, but it also doesn't surprise me that it's, it seems to have worked out well for, for both of you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Sorry. One more thing I was going to yep. say, I know, I know we're like, this is a lot here. You might even want to like split into two episodes. I think something. we That's might. So we're actually, we're, we're already, so we were meant to pause after an hour and it's been an hour and 15. So maybe we should um, come back to some, we don't need to end now, but like, yeah, maybe I feel like there's a lot more to talk about basically. Later. Yeah. But I, yeah. I want to more. Yeah. Just like yeah. make sure it gets in there, but just that like, well, okay. So we were raised to call the moons, the true family, which yeah. is like laughable now, yeah. but like they, they also grew up in a really dysfunctional family system. Yeah. So often when I talk about them and like when they're being violent or whatever, like I'm like, I probably would have been like that too if I were them because they had all these expectations as like these holy children and yeah. like they were simultaneously being bowed to since they were babies and also like answering pressures and demands from the parents. And I think there was a lot of abuse and like from, you know, Sun Myung Moon was like a horrible father, apparently violent. And it's like, and their mom too was like kind of violent, like really twisted stories I've heard. Okay. Um, Okay. If you ever have Lisa Cohn on here, right. you know, well, it'll be at her discretion, but she yeah, grew up okay. with them. Yeah. I, I know she friends. wrote a book about it yeah. as well, which I, which I haven't, I haven't read yet. Yeah. To the moon and back. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to put that out there that like, this is all pretty complex and like, I, yeah. I don't like it when people are like, this call is fucked. Those people are fucked up. I mean, it yeah. literally is. It's very yeah. crazy, but like, there's also stories with how it got there and like, no yeah. one wants to be the bad guy, you know, but not to say I would ever trust them or like try to negotiate with them. No yeah. way. Uh, <laughs> but like it's a cult and they're a cult family. Yeah. But I just, you know, it sucks to be them too, I think. 
like yeah. to some degree, more or less. Anyway, but yeah, just want to put that out there. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And it kind of, it really, it kind of dovetails with the point I was making earlier as well is like, you know, we, we all suffered, suffered abuse at the hands of our parents, but they, you know, equally, you know, suffered abuse at the hands of the cult. And there is, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that anyone is forgiven for anything, but in terms of understanding the whole operation, you have to actually, you have to understand the, the, the levels that the levels of abuse and the levels of interactions that are, that are happening to really comprehend the, the scope and the scale of, of, of everything basically. So I, I think it's, I think it's worth mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe we, maybe we kind of, end there for now i feel like that's actually a pretty good ending point just kind of that that mm-hmm. point of like and I, it kind of brings me back to, to the, the whole reason why i wanted to record this conversation and have other ones in the future is that i just feel like there's a whole lot of nuance to to everything that happened to us and we've only started to scratch the surface here and you know you can read an article that says you know the moons did this blah 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 and it'll all be like factually true equally someone could read that like our parents did x y and z and it could all be factually true uh, or we did x y and z and it would all be factually true but just looking at the facts you wouldn't really understand the the subtleties of the the connections between all those things and that's why i wanted to have this conversation to start drawing out those those connections between between all those things yeah yeah, for sure. Again, it's like the Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we saw from the inside. It's oh, sorry. There was one last thing. Yeah, go for it. I know it's getting late, but I want to mention that, like, on the lines of us meeting each other. So, like, the first yeah. time I met you, yeah, like I knew your sister growing up in workshops. And yeah. So I saw her at summer where she was my age, and so you're a little younger. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. But um, three years. Yeah. Yeah, during that one, during one summer where we were doing this tour for this one subdivision of the church called the yeah. Pure Love Alliance where yeah. we were for like sexual abstinence and even though yeah. we had no idea what we were talking about. Yeah. So we were on this tour across America doing these rallies and like you're like, hey I'm Elgin. It's like, hey I heard you like Operation Ivy. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, like cool. Um, and how we- yeah. So I, really? Like, okay. Cause like one of our uh, mutual friends I made a mixtape for them. Yeah. And I put some Operation Ivy on. Okay. And like which Operation Ivy is like, if you know the band Rancid, they kind of spawned from them. Yeah. But Operation Ivy, they had a different lead singer. Yeah. And he was actually like a brilliant writer. Like, He's amazing. Really yeah. Amazing. And so like, I was like religiously into them, like really. Okay. But it's funny because when you called me out of that, actually my first reaction was like, oh, worlds collide. Like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my identity outside of the Moody's. Like, it but, just- but it was cool. Like, but over time, like I was like, oh, cool. Like I like his taste in music. <laughs> yeah. That, so that's actually really interesting. So I remember meeting on that in that during that summer, but I didn't know exact. I don't, I don't remember that exact moment, nor 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 do I remember that exact story. But it's, it's a great story. <laughs> I, I give myself credit. Yeah. And, so, and that, so I, yeah, I, I I kind of like thought of that when you decided to do this this like talk show or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what this is going to be, but yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, but I was yeah. like, Oh, that's like Elgin's like punk punk rock questioning nature. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you made the connection to, to that back in, back in the day. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, that's like essential work, man. Like if you don't have that, you get them look at America now. Like, come on. Yeah. I know. Right. <laughs> we need that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Britain's not much better. Yeah. yeah. 
I remember one of my friends in, in London, he actually does the show Talk Beliefs. His name's Mark Torrender. Hey, and he yeah, you're talking about him. Yeah. He's cult members. Yeah. Uh, or like cult survivors. And he said like, yeah, I think they're cut from the same cloth, like Boris and Boris Johnson, is that his name? Yeah, Boris Johnson. Yeah. yeah, Boris Johnson and Trump. I'm like, yeah, it's like a, a wispy, deteriorating blonde cloth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, they are. They are. There's there's a lot of similarities, I think. Oh, I, I don't want to go yeah. on too much of a Trump Trump, Trump tangent, but I actually yeah, think, I think, I think Boris is actually way more clever than Trump is. Um, His feet are on the ground a little, I, little better. Yeah, which yeah. I think, which I think makes him a bit more dangerous uh, mm. than, than, than Trump. Although, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, I guess it's debatable, but I just. And Trump's I, money is where he's very dangerous. So. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I feel like people, t- you know, there's this like hilarious idea of like, you know, Trump playing four dimensional chess, mm. but which, you know, which is laughable for so many reasons, I guess. I think like thinking of that analogy, I, I, I think, Trump probably doesn't even know how the pieces in a che- pieces move on a chessboard, whereas Boris Johnson, I think, would probably have some clue as to how they moved, and might have. S- mm-hmm. he, I just feel like he's got a bit more going for him mentally, effectively. So I just think that makes right. him a bit more, a bit more dangerous in a way. Yeah, it's like the end of that spectrum is Putin, who's just pure evil and yeah. KGB. So he knows what he's doing and he knows what works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but. That's that's how we're living now. I mean, yeah. I almost want to like post stuff online. It's like, well, I'm in the middle of crazy wildfires, Trump, coronavirus. Like, I, I mean, not to like give it a lot of grandiosity, but I want to do yeah. like an Anne Frank thing of like, this is where we're at yeah. right now. And I want people <laughs> in the future to know, like, we're still sane. We still have a sense of humor and, you know, living our lives. But wow, what a crazy time. And yeah, you know, this is going in the history books. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, certainly hope hope it goes in history books. Like I hope, that, I hope this just doesn't just continue forever. And this is like, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. But yeah, I think we should probably, we should probably pause there. I'm going to say thank you sure. very much for participating in, in the yeah. inaugural episode. This has been, this has been great. And uh, I guess I should probably ask you if you want to plug anything, any, any, uh, any, anything you want to draw people's attention to. I know. Uh, I just, usually I refer people to my website, like it's it's also my portfolio website, so it's okay. like a mix of my design work and animation work, and also like any press I got. So it's just okay. like the whole me. Okay. But the press page of teddyhose.com. It's just teddyhose.com backslash press. Okay. Yeah, that's that's where you'll see like all my activism in cults, like okay, the, cool. you know, the Netflix show, which is now yeah. on YouTube for free. The explained okay. episode on cults. Okay. And uh, A and E show and the Uproxx interview and anyway. Yeah. Okay. Like so that. there's links right there. Okay. So that's teddyhose.com. Yeah. Backslash press. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Or cool. you just hit press on the homepage. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much and yeah. best of luck with everything. Thanks, man. Yeah. You too. Like this is this is great. I like I I kind of had my doubts before about like. Uh, if you both come from the same church, you're going to talk about the same echo chamber stuff. But no, I mean, it, you talk about a lot more. I mean, you, you get more in depth than like someone who has to be introduced to all this. So yes. This yeah. Is like, yeah. It's really cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for participating. Yeah. I look forward to listening to other interviews and stuff. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Hold on. I'm just, I'm just going to stop the recording. Folks, there you have it. 
labor trafficking, middle management, the mafia family, Charles Dickens, and Ted Nugent. What more could you want from an interview? I'd like to say thank you to Teddy for getting involved with this. I also need to make a minor correction to one of my statements during this interview. I made the statement that I had access to a video of members of Reverend Moon's family berating church members for the death of Philip Moon. I do not, in fact, have access to that video. The video that I was referring to is to members of Moon's family berating members for the death of another son of Reverend Moon, one Hyojin Moon. I'll link to the video in the show notes. For the record, Hyojin Moon is the cokehead wife-abusing son of Reverend Moon. Just want to throw that out there so you have a bit of context if you do watch that video of some asshole in Moon's family telling church members that it's their fault that this guy died an early death when in fact it's probably because he was snorting coke for pretty much all his life. And by the way, that was on the back of the labor trafficking, the money that the Moon family got from the labor trafficking of adults and minors that we've discussed in this episode and will be discussed in future episodes. And speaking of future episodes, please come back for the next episode, which is part two of my interview with Teddy, where we talk further about labor trafficking, parental abandonment, and the age-old question, did the con man really believe his own bullshit? See you later, folks.